What I want to do now is kind of get on to what I want to speak about. But how I want to start there is actually to talk about a guy called George. George, um, to explain who he is, I've got to, um, if you like, take you back over a hundred years. Uh, so to the kind of start-ish of the last century, around kind of 1910 to 1913. And I want to take you to a place called Sudbury. Mustn't turn that way. I'm never going to look at you guys. Um, I'm just going to look at you. So I'm going to take you to a place called Sudbury in Suffolk. And in Sudbury in Suffolk, on a Sunday, there was one thing that used to happen that would often break in to communities in order to just bring a kind of element of hope and light into communities. It was that a Salvation Army band would leave their building and go and do an open-air meeting in different locations around Sudbury. And they'd, they'd gather, they'd play some tunes, someone would talk, and then they'd play some more tunes. And that's what they did. On one occasion, in kind of, a, kind of March time of year, they, they kind of gathered into a community, into a housing estate, and just started to play. And as they played, a teenager called George heard them. And he couldn't help but be drawn out of his home situation. His home situation was one of incredible need. Uh, one where actually there wasn't a lot of hope going on. And so hearing music break in on a Sunday morning wasn't just something that caused him uh, a kind of sense of, uh, inqu- kind of inquisitive sense of oh, what's going on here, but actually it was just a moment of breaking into the normality and sometimes the bleakness of his life. And so he kind of left his home and gathered around this band and just heard them play. And when the band finished, one of the band's members looked at George and rec- realized that even this kind of March, cool, slightly damp day, a little bit like June, he could see this guy didn't have George, didn't have any shoes on or a coat. And so this bandsman took off his shoes and his coat and walked over to George and gave him his shoes and put his coat over his shoulders. And then with his socks on, this bandsman went back and joined the rest of the band and kind of made their way back to their church building. George was left unbelievably shocked, surprised, perplexed as to why this individual had done that. And there was something in him that just thought, what is going on here? And so he gingerly followed the Salvation Army band back to their building. He kind of kept at a bit of a distance and watched them to see where they were going. And when he saw them go into their building, he then, after a while, plucked up the courage to go into the building. And when he got in there, he saw this bandsman still in his socks in the building. And he, he went up to him and just asked the question, why? Why did you give me your shoes and your coat? And this bandsman then talked about how he had come into a realization of the love and kindness of mercy of God shown through Jesus Christ and how that couldn't help but change his life forever. And then he came to share with George how what he'd known Jesus do for him, he knew that Jesus wanted to do for George. And by the end of that morning, George didn't only have a coat and a pair of shoes, He'd also decided to say, actually, at the center of my life, I want Jesus to be there. Now, the amazing thing with this story is it doesn't end in that moment. 
What happens is that decision of that bandsman not only impacts George's life, but it impacts George's son's life. And then it impacts George's son's son's life. And then it impacts George's son's 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 life. So much so that that great-grandson can stand before you now to talk about the impact that love, kindness, and mercy can have on an individual's life. See, my privilege is this, that I stand to you not with a moment of kind of trying to inspire you to something, but rather to stand as a story, a story that started with an unnamed Salvation Army bandsman who was so impacted by who Jesus is and what Jesus did, it caused him to therefore say, whatever I see around me, I want to make a difference in. And this morning, what I want us to get hold of is, actually, when we look at the needs of our city, we have this unbelievable privilege of being those who become part of the solution that can sow seeds in individuals' lives, that can cause them to not only be changed as an individual, but can change generation to generation to generation. And therefore, I can't have a privilege to be before you. But the thing is, and what I want us to look at this morning, is that the danger, when we look at the needs of our city, as Johnny said, there just seems so many. And then we hear of some potential initiatives that we can get involved in, and we think, well, okay, I could do that is that we exactly get to that conclusion, is we think, oh, I better do that. But rather, I want to look at this morning that actually caring for needs is about who we are. That's the point, that in us seeking to impact this city for its good and caring for the needs of people we come into contact with, it isn't something that we're seeking to do. It's actually something out of who we are. It isn't something for the specialists who sit on chairs at the front. It's something that actually is to be involved in every single one of us. That for many of us, we'll be like a bandsman. We'll we'll never be named, never be known. And yet we're called to profoundly impact the city around us. Because the needs are there. The needs are massive, but also the needs are within us and within our grasp. And it's that, if you like, I want us to look at. It's just to kind of zoom in and say, actually, where it starts isn't what we do, but actually this reminding and this realization of who we are. Because actually, it's as we get that that we realize that everything that we're seeking to be and do as communities and church actually flows out from who we are. It isn't that Jesus woke up in the day and thought, I know, I'll do some good today. It's just out of who he was. Because it gave us a picture into who God is. That God in his very nature is good and loving. And therefore he can't help but be good and loving. And we too then, as we grasp more of who he is and how he's revealing himself to us as good and loving, transforms who we are and how we live as good and loving. And to help us look at that, I therefore want to look at a story that Jesus told. And it's within a collection of stories that Jesus tells in Matthew 24, 25. And in it, what Jesus is doing is he's telling these stories in order that the his followers, those who seek to say they want to put him at the center of their lives, can understand what it looks like to live with him at the center of his lives and to live in this period post his resurrection and pre his return. That's the point of the stories. It's like to say, well, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus 
When Jesus isn't around, but we know he's resurrected, we know he's alive, but he hasn't yet returned to this earth to round things off and to cause us to live in this incredible new city of his making. Which if you want to get to that point, um, I'd really encourage you, please do keep reading Revelation 21-22 as it will just really help you in that. But at this point in time, I want to get there, but rather to look at these stories. You see, these stories weren't in order that we could wear t-shirts that say, look busy, Jesus is coming. That's not the point. The point was that we'd get hold of the, the, the nuts and bolts of these stories in order that it would change who we are and how we live. And then what we do. And so let's look then at this story I want us to pick up on. And so if you've got a Bible, if not, it will appear in giant font in the screen behind me. But we're going to look at Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. In this bit, Jesus is using a story, um, kind of telling what it will look like when people finally get to meet him. It says this, when, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, who's Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, in this story, and we're going to look at it and examine it a bit, is that There is this moment of judgment being spoken of, but it's not that that I want to zoom in on. I rather want to zoom in on the way that we're to live that's to be celebrated. That's the way that Jesus says actually is something he expects. Because actually it's in that that I think we're going to understand something of why we're here and how we're to seek the good of this city as we seek to care for the needs of this city. Now in that, what we need to understand is this isn't um, a moment of uh, salvation by works. This isn't what Jesus is saying. See, we could hear this and think, all right, so Jesus is saying, actually, there's going to come a moment at the end where he judges and says, look, what have you done? How have you taken care of the needs around you? Because how you've done that is then going to be how you get into the kingdom. That isn't what Jesus is saying in this story. But we know that one because actually it's, we never look at one story isolated. We look at the whole of the story that Jesus told whilst he's on the earth. And the story that Jesus told continuously while he was on the earth is that the only way that you and I can get rescued, the only way you and I can live within his kingdom that's governed by his love is actually through his death and resurrection. 
That was the point of him coming, was to live, to die, and then to rise again. And then out of his resurrection to offer everyone life. So we know that that's the biggest story here. It isn't that he was saying, right, you've got to work for this. It was actually, no, no, I'm working for this so that you can have it. The whole of the Bible tells that story. So this isn't a moment of Jesus saying, right, you better work for this. We also know it because actually within the story, he reveals it. Because we find that within the story, those who are his followers, when they're told, actually when you, by Jesus, when you fed, when you gave someone something to drink, when you visited, when you cared for, when you clothed, when you comforted, it was like you were doing it to me. At that point, they don't say, oh yeah, that's why we were doing it. We knew you'd know. They say, oh no, we didn't know you were looking. We just did it. We didn't know it was you, Jesus. We were just doing it. It was this natural outworking of who we are. And that's the point that Jesus wants to get hold of. See, we could quickly take a moment and say, well, let's look at the final judgment. Are we sheep or goats? Actually, I think what Jesus wants us to get hold of is the fact that actually we've got this amazing life in him. And as we understand that this, we've got this amazing life, it then causes us to fundamentally change who we are and how we then live. See, the point isn't that I'm not rolled in here to say, I'm something special. I kind of have this blood that pumps in my body that thinks, I want to see the needs cared in this city. Actually, it's just I'm someone ordinary, just like you. And we're exactly the same. Well, what I was to hope for at the end is that like these people in the story, gets to this point of saying, well, we just did what we thought was normal. We just cared for needs because we realized it was just in our blood. It's just who we were. See, this isn't a moment of working for our salvation. This is a moment that Jesus is telling a story that reveals who we are. It reveals who we are by reminding us of this bigger story. This bigger story that's always there. That whatever we do in our, our actions is always being worked out by what we've known of God. That was always the story of God. That you find it in Deuteronomy 24 when God gives these commands to his people of Israel and says actually you're to care for those in need. And he says you're to care for those in need because it reveals what? Well, it reveals that you're a people that I rescued from Egypt. In other words, the reason you care for the needy isn't to show yourselves as good, isn't to kind of work for something, but rather is to show something. It's to reveal that actually you're the people that I rescued from Egypt. Just as you've known what it is to be rescued from a place of powerlessness, you then live out that knowledge by taking the care of those who are powerless and in need. You find it in terms of that bigger story of Isaiah 58 where you find this moment of God speaking to his people and saying, actually, how am I going to reveal myself amongst you and through you? Well, by your stance and care for the oppressed, your want for justice, your care for the needy. It's as you do that, as you kind of give yourself to that, that actually then you'll be shown and revealed as mine. Because you're catching the very heart of who God is. But you see, we don't get to this point and say, all right, okay, what we need to do then is muscle ourselves up. We'll kind of get ourselves to this point of kind of total ecstatic.
dramatic moment. So we're kind of geeing ourselves up now. We're kind of jumping around the cinema saying, we're not going to sit in these comfortable seats anymore. We're going to get here saying, we're for the city. We're for the city. We're for the city. We're for the city. Going to do good. Going to do good. Going to care for the needs. Going to care for the needs. Now let's go. That's not the point. The point is actually that we sit back in our chairs and we remember. We rest in the reality of who we are. Who we are that's revealed through this passage. See, we get to rest in who we were. Remembering who we were before we centered our lives on Jesus. That we were those who were naked. Hopefully it will come up here. We were hungry and thirsty. We were strangers. We were naked. We were sick. We were imprisoned. Maybe it didn't look as literal. But ultimately that was our stance before Jesus broke into our lives. We were those who were in deep need of satisfaction. We were those in our very core of our being who were in unrest. Who knew what it was to be desperate. Who knew what it was to be full of hunger and thirst. Because we knew whatever we gave our attention to, it never fully satisfied. We knew what it was to be a stranger. What it was to, to know that we're within this world and yet it just doesn't seem to fit. We knew what it was to live within the curse of the garden at the beginning. Of brokenness. Brokenness in our way that we could ever relate to the creator of everything. Brokenness in respect to our way we could relate to one another. A brokenness that ultimately we understood that caused us to feel in terms of how we relate to ourselves. We knew what it was to be strangers. We knew what it was to be naked. That at that moment, I don't know if, if you can for a moment, probably not think of myself, maybe think of yourself. If for a moment we would say, hey, it's naked Sunday, this Sunday, you'd be like, whoa, this has become a bit cult-like. But you come in and you sit in the cinema naked, you feel what? Vulnerable. Big time. You just think, this is not pleasant. And I promise you, everyone would have their eyes closed. (laughs) I think probably it would be the last time you'd ever get to meet in the cinema. (laughs) But you see, nakedness is that vulnerability. It's that moment of realizing, actually, whatever I do, however good I think I am, ultimately, I'm left falling short of who God is, who is in his very essence good. We knew what it was to be naked, to be vulnerable. We knew what it was to be sick. To realize that actually as we've curved in on ourselves, as we sought to say we're going to be at the center of our lives, nothing and no one else. That actually what it did is it caused us to continuously live with that sense of everything doing us harm. And as living under this sentence of actually we know where this is leading is death. And we knew what it was to be imprisoned. We knew that we were powerless to do everything and anything about our position. That's who we were. We were that. We were a people. We were individuals who were of ultimate need. And it's only as we live from that place of remembering that we're a people of ultimate need that we remember this amazing news of the but God. (laughs) 
of the but God who is gracious and compassionate, of the but God who's always been loving, of the Jesus who, who is God, who talks about the Father in uh, John 15, 16, 17, and, and gets these moments and says, oh, but the Father has loved me before the creation of everything. This is the God we're talking about, this God who's always been loving, Father, Son, and Spirit, a loving community, everything birthed out of love, everything created from that place of love, then bursts in because he can't see us in that desperate place of need and not respond. And so we find in Romans, which way is I have to turn that way, isn't it? So you can still find, this is Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still living with ourself at the center, while we were still living as those who were strangers, those who were hungry and thirsty, those who were naked, those who were sick, those who were imprisoned, Christ died for us. That God sees our greatest need. And then out of his glorious love, kindness and mercy acts. And since Jesus that he'd live, die and rise again in order that we could have a life that is totally different. That we would then be able to live and sit in this cinema if you're a follower of Jesus and know that we sit here understanding that we're no longer what we were. We're now what we are. In order we can sit here and know now that where we were hungry and thirsty, where we were dissatisfied, unsatisfied, where we were uh, restless, that Jesus has come and through his life, death and resurrection, through the love, joy and acceptance that he's offered us, has caused us to know what it is to be satisfied. Has caused us to know what it is to find that place of rest, which is both the absence of conflict but the presence of comfort and security. That's what Jesus has done. He's come in and done that. He's then that place where we were a stranger, that Jesus has come through his life, death, and resurrection, caused us to know relationship restored. What he's done is he's caused us to know that we've got this restored relationship with God that we approach with utter confidence. Knowing that we, he who is holy, perfect, we're able to approach with full confidence, knowing we're loved and accepted. But not only that, he's not only restored relationship with, with us to God, Jesus restored relationship with one another. In order that we know we've received so the ultimate in love and acceptance that we can know, we're no longer seeking to live for that with others, that we're just looking to love and accept others. And then more than that, especially within the culture that we live in, that's so eye-centered, that we get to know this wholeness, this restored relationship within ourselves. We get to live knowing we're loved and accepted. I don't know about you, I I get excited. I think these are good needs being met. This is our story. I'm only two in. Clothed. So we were naked, vulnerable, then we find that our best efforts, no, they weren't good enough, but Jesus comes around and says, oh no, now I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness, my goodness. That's how you get seen now, forever acceptable. That where we were sick, where we were kind of into this path of whatever we did, ultimately it was doing us harm and ultimately it was going to lead to death. Jesus says, oh now, I deal with that need and I now supply you life 
and life eternal. A life eternal that's forever within my love. And then lastly, that moment of imprisonment can do nothing, powerless to get ourselves out. Jesus comes and says, oh, I can do this. You're free. You get to live a life now where you're free. Nothing and no one can inhibit you or hold you back because I've freed you. See, we're this bunch of people who knew what it was and is to live in ultimate need and yet know what it is to have this loving God who on this day, Father's Day, is our Father who we get to stand and live before and know that out of his gracious love for us that is rich in mercy and kindness, he saw the plight of our need and came and satisfied every one of them through Jesus' life, death and resurrection. How can we not be like the believers in this story and then say, well, what we've known, we now live out. We now allow this to just flow out from who we are. That we get to now be at this point. See, it doesn't stop here. Because if it stops at this point, we say, whoa, I get to know this. I was hungry, naked, desperate. I was uh, imprisoned. I was sick. I was a stranger. But now I'm not. And we leave at that point and think, oh no, let's gather in a cinema once a week and just celebrate the fact, I'm not this. I was in need. Is now all being satisfied. If that's where it levels off, Jesus take us now. Because there is no point in us being in this city. There is no point of us being on this earth. The point is that that moment where we grasp the immensity of what we've been rescued from, it then can't help but cause us to think, man, how can I not but reveal this to everyone and anyone? That in both the ultimate way, of how Jesus has rescued us, how Jesus comes and meets us in our ultimate needs, but also in everything, that we're seeking to reveal it, seeing that every moment where we encounter a need is a moment where we get to flow out from the place of our needs being satisfied. And so we therefore get to reveal it to others. Not because we have to, not because we're meant to, but because we want to. Because it's just this natural outworking of the very core of who we are, of what Jesus has done within us. Because it's allowing us to reveal just the wonder of who he is. The wonder of who God is. Which means we then get to be like the people in the story who reveal it here on earth. So we find that Jesus says, "When you live this out. You revealed it, what you did to the least of my brothers and sisters you did for me. See, Jesus wants us to understand it starts here, in community. See, there's a danger when we hear this call, the needs of our city, we think, let's get out. But actually, we can't get out until we've dealt with what's in. Because there's one thing this day and age doesn't tolerate, and that's hypocrisy. See, the reality is, I can say whatever I want from the front of here. But if you come round to my house and you see someone different, you see someone who, with my kids, I've got three kids, two girls and one boy, and so you see me with them, with my wife, that basically how I live is actually from a place of conditional love. Where I'm conditionally measuring, saying, well, actually I love you more than you because you've done this and you haven't done that. You'd be like, well, what's going on? You, you said you live from the other basis. From this understanding of the love that you've received, you then live. If, if you came round to my home and you find something different, you'd then think, I don't believe you. There is a world looking in on us. 
saying, actually, what makes you different to other people that do good is how you live amongst each other. See, we need to ensure that as communities, we're taking care for those in need amongst us. Which means one of two things. It means, one, that if you are in need, you need to speak out. The beauty of who we are as church is a body. It means that we're intricately connected. It means when one part suffers, all parts suffer. When one part celebrates, all parts celebrate. So when we celebrate John, we're celebrating all of our story. When one of us is in need, we speak up because we realize that actually this is a moment for body to work, for us to suddenly realize we're connected, we take care of. So there's a responsibility for those who are in need to speak up. There's also a responsibility for the rest of us that when someone speaks up in need, we then respond. So first of all, we take care in-house. But if we stop there, we're losing sight of what the bigger story of what Jesus told was. And that was this. That actually we're to love our neighbor, that is everyone else, as we love ourselves. That we're to allow our light to break out amongst everyone so they would see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. So the point isn't that we just live with this as a community inside the church, but rather that we're both living it inside the community and also demonstrating it outside the community. So we're earth to come and say we're here to care for the needs of those around us. Why? Because it's who we are. So we do literally look at the story and we say, well, we care for those needs. What we find in the day and age we live in is that sometimes they place themselves literally and sometimes they're revealed kind of in a different guise. And so it does mean that when we hit the hungry and the thirsty, we don't say to them, let's pray for you that you'd get food. But actually we say, no, we're going to provide for you. But also we need to understand that the hungry and thirsty will be obvious. There'll be the literal people who need food and drink. But it's also the people we come in contact with who are desperate. The people within our world who can seem actually, in world standards, incredibly wealthy. And yet when you start to examine their life, you discover actually they're incredibly desperate. We find that it's the stranger, which is in our day and ages, it's like the, the refugee or asylum seeker that we're looking to take care of. But it's not only that, it's, it's the individual who's new. It's the individual who's isolated. Maybe it's in your workplace. I remember when I had a proper job and I used to work in the civil service, um, these, there was an individual that I worked with who no one else really liked. And so I remember when I first arrived in an open plan office, I was told, whatever you do, don't be around them. Like no one had time for them. And so in a moment, how am I going to see him? It's the stranger, it's the naked, it's, it's not only the one that we meet who's literally needing clothing, it's also the one that we meet is vulnerable. It's the one who's elderly, one who's a child, one who's in a, a life situation that just we look at and we just think that is vulnerable. It's the one that we come into contact with who's sick. It might be physically sick, it might be mentally ill at this point in time. It's the one that's in prison, which might physically literally mean they're in prison. It also might mean that they're imprisoned. We've heard about it this morning of the imprisonment that comes for individuals through debt. The imprisonment that comes to individuals because of addiction. The imprisonment that comes to individuals increasingly within the culture we live at. If you were to look at the GP reports at the moment, the biggest rise in healthcare concern is in one area at this point in time, and that is the rise of anxiety. Anxiety is increasing on Asian as people are imprisoned by it. 
And it's in that moment that as we see the needs of the people around us, that we then take action. Understand that it comes out of who we are. It's not that we're just going to go and do something. It's that we realize that all that we know, all that we then see, leads to action. Now at this point, we have to be careful. And I'm going to keep repeating this. We've, Johnny said it, I've said it once, I'm going to say it again. Because we live in a day and age of global news, we can be saturated by the needs surrounding us, not only of this city, but the nation and the nations. And in that moment, as we're saturated by all of these needs, there can then become this overwhelming sense of, well, what can I do? And it becomes, rather than a moment of realizing this is a moment for me to shine out, to reveal who I am, it becomes a moment of thinking, I need to shrink back, because there's, there's nothing I can do. So I'd say sometimes collectively we can do something about the bigger story of the world. But uniquely where God has placed us, uniquely where God has called us to kind of reveal the color and flavor of who he is, is where he's placed us here now, within the worlds that we're placed, within our workplaces, communities, streets, schools, university campuses, within this city. That God has put us around individuals. And it's in that place that we're called to take action as we see the needs around us. And we just take action. We do what Jesus told us in the story. He said that people took action by what? By giving, by visiting, by comforting, by welcoming. Really practical stuff. Now, in it, because I know you guys are pretty focused and you're going to think, well, this is all good, all feels nice, but how does it hit? How does the rubber hit the road? Right? Say, so rubber hits the road through three R's. That's what I found. And if you can use these three R's, they will help you in terms of figuring out how do I work in the needs of the people who are around me. The first R is one that I think the majority of us, if not all of us in this room, will be part of. And that is relief. But for most of us, what we will be involved in is seeing the needs around us and seeking to bring relief within them. So I can tell you a story about a friend of mine called Debs. Debs uh, lives within a cul-de-sac, and she found out that one of her neighbors across the road uh, was signed off uh, work uh, with anxiety and depression. And so Debs decides that um, she's going to buy a bunch of flowers and go and visit her neighbor. So that's all she did. She, she crosses the road, she rings the doorbell, and presents... So let me stop doing that, don't I? And presents her neighbor... A bunch of flowers. At that moment, as she presents her neighbor a bunch of flowers, her neighbor just bursts into tears. And then asks if Deb would go in. As so Debs goes into a lounge and just listens to this individual, she's saying how isolated they were feeling. How they'd got to this point of just feeling like there is no, one, there is no hope. And she said, you came round, and what you brought was relief. You just suddenly caused me to understand I'm not alone. Someone understands. Someone's prepared to sit and listen to me. So Debs kind of ends the conversation and she says, oh, would you like me to pray for you? And this lady says, I'd love for you to pray for me. And so Debs says, great, I'll be praying for you. And she leaves the house and she crosses the road. Debs tells me the story. She tells it like this. Adrian, I so messed up. I had this moment where I went to visit my neighbor and uh, did all this stuff. She repeats everything I've just told you. And then she said, then I offered to pray for her. And she said, yes. And then I said, I'll be praying for her as, as I left the house. I didn't pray for her there and then. I messed up. 
I said, Deb, she didn't. You were Jesus to that individual in that moment. Where suddenly you revealed what Jesus did for us. He just came and he relieved the needs that we had in such practical ways. And that's what you did. For often, what it is, isn't complicated. It's just very ground, earthy type relief that we bring to people. The second one, second R, is restoration. That ultimately it's not enough to just bring just relief to individuals. Ultimately we need to get to that point of seeing their needs and saying actually we want to see you restored from this place of need. And that's where some of the initiatives that we heard shared at the very beginning I'd be encouraging you to sign up for because what they do is they allow you to get involved in something that's there to seek to not only bring relief but also restoration. So I could pick up and know some of John's story with the bridge, which is our story, Oasis, that actually I could tell you that last Sunday we had the privilege of uh, Roy sharing his story, who's a resident of the bridge, who told his story saying that he's two years alcohol-free. That's pretty amazing. And then he tells the story and says, within those two years, this is what happened in my life. I've now got restored relationship with my family. I've now got this relationship with God I enjoy through you as a community and also I can now read and write that's a story of restoration that yes we brought relief to him so we gave him a safe place to live but then we got to that next moment of saying it isn't enough to leave it there we have to then bring restoration and so we see a guy restored in terms of relationship with others restored in relationship with himself restored in terms of relationship with God For some of us, we're going to say, actually, do you know what? I've got some time. And at this point, you think, none of us have got time. We live in the busiest century there's ever been. I know. And yet sometimes we say, out of what we've known, we then say it's going to shape our lives differently. And for some of us, not all of us, because we know we're called to do it in a different way, but for some of us, we're going to say, actually, what I'm going to do is sign up to something, because I want to be involved in seeing restoration for people. That then leaves us to the last R. And this R, if you like, is the one that's most celebrated, but it's only ever possible by the first R, which is what the majority of us will do, relief happening. And the last R, having done relief, restoration, is, is reformation, is we work for reform. In other words, we start to make stances, and we start to speak out and reveal that maybe there's a different way of things going on that cause people to not actually get to the point of need. And the thing is, we live within a city that is world famous for it. A friend of mine um, bought a factory in town for new offices that he's got for his business. And it used to be the first ever um, pen factory uh, that was used for the mass production of fountain pens. They say that in its uh, height, 80% of the fountain pens of the world were made in that factory. If you go down to the Pen Museum, you can get the whole spiel about this factory from the guy who runs the Pen Museum. My friend, when he was owning his factory, went and spoke to the guy who's the uh, curator of the Pen Museum. And the Pen Museum guy says this, in terms of that day and age, that dawn of the industrial age, of everything that was going on that was creating Birmingham to be the power base that it became, that became this second city. He said this, that in the moment of most prosperity in this city for businesses was the moment where everyone's actual first goal was social justice. 
Every business leader, what they decide to do is say, how could we use what we've got to change the plight of the city around us? And so actually the pen factory, they were the first ever employer of only women. George Cadbury saw the needs of the city. He often gets celebrated as the, the kind of unique guy. He was part of a team. You know, before he did the housing, he was thir- feeding 30,000 kids a week through churches in the city, gathering pastors saying, what are we going to do? We're here to reform. We're here to change what it's been like. That's our heritage as a city. And the thing is, I don't want to live in a city where we always talk back 120, 30 years and say, cool, those were the good days. I believe in a moment where actually God's kingdom is continuously, increasingly breaking in. And so, yes, it can seem darker, but it will still kill, still keep seeing brighter. And we're still in these moments to say, actually, we're not a bunch of people who have been. We're also this bunch of people who still are being, who are still being transformed by this loving, kind, merciful God that then causes us to say, actually, we're going to do the same in the city and the nation we're in. And for some of us in this room, we will be involved in reforming this city and the nation and the nation's. And it happens through small ways to start off with. It's happening for us at the moment in terms of the bridge. So what we're doing in terms of the bridge's story is we've kind of done this three houses of catering for people in addictions. We get them clean, but then that's not enough, is it? It's not enough to then say, right, great, you've got your life together, see you then. It has to be then that we're starting to change how addictions recovery is done. So we do it through reforming it from a small base up. So what we've done is we've approached Bourneville Housing Association. We said, we know your history. Let's bring it into the presence. The present, why don't we team together and say, could we transform how the needs of this city are cared for? So we're now doing an unofficial partnership with BVT, where they provide the housing, we provide the ongoing support. It's a way of reforming how addictions recovery is done. We're saying that actually we don't believe addictions recovery will happen with a three to six month period. It's actually a lifelong commitment. We're in it for the long haul. And we're just doing this like chart. It's just a small moment, individual by individual, with a desire to say actually what we're going to reveal is actually this is a way of totally reshaping everything. So we get involved in relief, restoration and reform. But we do it out of that place of understanding. We care for the needs of this city. We care for the needs of this city within our worlds. Out of what? Out of who we are. And then my encouragement this morning is, let's live out of who we are. If you've never received Jesus as the one who can provide everything you've ever needed, do it. How you might want to do that is to ask some questions. Ask some questions of Johnny, uh, as I'm sure he'd love to hear them. If you have, then remember what you've received in order that you can then go on revealing it 